despite the drop in crude oil, we learned last week that Warren Buffett again at Berkshire continues to pile into Occidental and showing confidence in the sector. So should we have the same? Let's bring in Cole Smead joining us, president and portfolio manager at Smead Capital Management. Cole, Warren Buffett seems pretty sold, at least on uh, Occidental. How does the rest of us go about uh, fitting energy into our strategy? That's a great question. Uh, as you point out, Buffett's doing that. And then you have Harold Hamm, who's one of the most successful uh, oil people in the history of the industry, um, who's trying to take out his company at $70 a share. And so what I find really interesting is the billionaires are doing one thing and the public investors are scared and afraid of the space and really unwilling to come back to it. Now, as you pointed out right before the, the break there, um, part of this is just the volatility of the commodity market, right? You've gone from 120 to about 100 on WTI and people look at that volatility and say, I don't want to touch that. But that, that volatility is actually what keeps people out altogether. And I, I think using oil as a read through on inflation is foolish right now because people are looking saying, well, look, it's come down. Therefore, inflation must be coming down. But you never study planes that come back with bullet holes. It's the planes that don't come back. You want to know where those bullets were. And so you should always look at the planes where the bullets aren't. And, and the idea behind that is just look at where the lows are. I mean, we're lowing. We're, we're finding a low at $100 a barrel. And no one's saying, oh, by the way, inflation's so big that the new low in oil is 100 <laughs> So I think that we've found a uh, potential area of support here at 100 bucks of crude, it sounds like. Well, I mean, no one, you know, 120 didn't cause anybody to add supply, and 100 isn't. Um, so, you know, most of the industry is congregating around the idea of a mid-cycle price around 60 or $70 a barrel. And my only problem with that is if you can't get people to produce at 100 or 120 they're never going to produce at 60. So we are in a, a, in effect, we're in a supply constraint that is not going to be alleviated by these prices. Um, we're going to have to go to much higher prices to get, uh, uh, you know, money to get involved in those kind of production uh, ideas. But go look at the futures curve. The futures curve is terribly backwardated, and no one's going to go out and produce three, for three years from now when no one's gonna give them the futures price right now to go produce. Mm. That, that is a great picture of the lack of capital in the space. Your uh, two biggest holdings I see in the Smead Value Fund right now, Continental and Occidental, correct me if wrong, if those are the latest uh, numbers, but that's a big chunk where you are skewing the uh, sector uh, towards energy in a way that the broader market is not. What kind of risks does that come with? Uh, the risk is that you beat inflation, you get wealthy, while most stock investors lose money over the next decade. That doesn't that's sound a like a risk. That, that, that's <laughs> a great way to go through life. That's our plan, and we're going to do that. By the way, we also own a, a smaller parts of Conoco and, and Chevron in the U.S. fund, and then we own Meg and Sonovus up in Canada in our international fund, not your guys' platform. And uh, we, we just we love it. I mean, love is in the air in the oil business, and no one cares. Um, but we know the bankers do, and we know the investors do. Um, but the average public market investor is losing money and has not figured out how profitable the energy business is. When we look at uh, the potential for more supply this week, President Biden's uh, uh, traveling for the first time to Saudi Arabia, to Israel. Um, is there potential uh, supply from that part of the world? Is there any hope that uh, they will alleviate uh, the oil situation? Yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful question. I think it's a really, um, you know, most Americans grow up thinking, you know, Tomorrow, the Middle East could produce supply if they want, okay? I mean, OPEC particularly as, as a kind of a picture of that. And oil is kind of two parts. One, it's, it's a view of future economic growth, right? It's a, it's a risk proxy for economic growth. 
And then secondly, it's a, it's a risk proxy for geopolitical security, as we've learned this year in 22. And I say that because if you look at the, uh, if you look at the uh, Middle East and you just look and say, okay, geopolitical security, um, it, it, even if you're Saudi Arabia, the attacks you have on your oil assets happen regularly over a two or three year stretch. So even they have to look at geopolitical security as a way to price oil, um, and that's on their oil assets. So the idea that OPEC can wake up tomorrow and just increase their production 10% is a total myth. And I, I, I really hope investors get that out of their head because we've been talking about that for six months and it isn't happening. And it's not gonna happen. Um, the reality is they need American producers to come to the market or Canadian producers to do that. The European majors, Total, Shell, et cetera, they hate being an oil company and they don't want to produce more. BP doesn't want to produce more. Um, the people that are going to produce more are likely to be the American and Canadian companies and they're not going to produce anything right now. Mm. Are these uh, businesses uh, that um, have holding periods beyond this reopen post-COVID thrust? How do you know when to get out of the energy trade? Because even if it is all hunky-dory for now and there's love in the air, this is definitely a more volatile sector uh, than many it. Even any futures yeah. trader will tell you, uh, being, you're trading that gas, you're trading crude, you're in a little bit of a different world for volatility. Yeah, don't, don't disagree with you. In other words, the best places to make money are places that people don't want to typically be, um, historically speaking, in stocks. And I don't disagree with that sentiment. But that's, again, that's what keeps it scarce and profitable. So to your point, um, let me just give you some feel for highs. In 1980, uh, energy was 30% of the S&P 500. In 2008, it was 16% of the S&P 500. Um, we sit at around four today. And so how I think about this is back in 08 at 16%, interest rates were falling to the floor while oil was sitting at $147 a barrel. Um, so I, I, I mean, from 4% to get to the teens wouldn't be crazy as a percentage of the S&P 500, mm. which could mean two things, how well this space does or how poorly the rest of the stock market does, the other 96%. But I, I just, if you think about the cost of money relative to oil, we will wake up with a situation where the cost of money will be gravitating higher and higher compared to back to that 08 time versus oil punching at that level or possibly higher at some point. So I, I look at 12, 13, uh, could I see that? Yeah, could I see it break 16? I know it sounds crazy to say it, but I can see it. Hmm. I'm not saying it's a 100% probability, but I could see a 10 or 20% chance of that. But getting back to the teens in my mind is 100%. Okay, really interesting stuff, all right. Uh, a strong conviction trait. Uh, Cole will definitely follow up with it. Appreciate it very much. Thanks, guys. All right, absolutely. Cole Smead is president and portfolio manager at Smead Capital Management with two big energy stocks at the top of the list and a strong conviction bet on the potential for crude oil and the drillers and the stocks connected to it. WTI does have some trouble breaking through 100 bucks. We'll say that for all the selling that we've gotten. Just can't stay below that level.